Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, some of these phrases may sound familiar. We were working out of chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark a couple of weeks ago, and I referenced a few of these verses to give a broader context of what we were talking about, because Jesus was trying to teach His disciples what He tells them first in chapter 8. He was reiterating in chapter 9, and we looked at both of these passages. So we find ourselves now on this second Sunday of Lent looking more deeply at this first time that Jesus begins to talk about this notion of suffering and being killed and being rejected. Mark records that Jesus began to teach His disciples saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. When Jesus uses the word must, He indicates that He understands this is the only way that He's going to be able to fulfill the call of which He has felt God has given to Him. When He begins to say, I must suffer and be rejected, we realize that he has a sense that all of the religious authorities out of his tradition are not going to understand that he has a different interpretation of what it means to follow God and be the Messiah for the people. And yet he says it with such strong language, it is clear that it is central to his identity it's at the core of what he understands God is calling him to do it's good for us to remember that earlier in Mark he's already told us that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting dealing with these questions of his call and his identity and how he was to use his power, where he was going to go, how he was going to interact with people. He's been asking himself these questions before he ever goes public in terms of his ministry. This season of Lent that we are in now gives us 40 days 
as we remember the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. But it's not only a time for us to remember what Jesus did. It's a time for us to ask ourselves some of those same kind of questions. I've put a couple in your outline for you to think about and take with you for further reflection. What does God's call on my life mean? Who am I to be in response to this call to be Christian? Something important to think about. Dr. Joseph Small is a Presbyterian theologian and writer. When he writes about Mark, he says this portion, this 8th chapter, right where we're reading, is the crucial hinge in the whole story. He says, remember that just before where we began to read, Jesus has begun to ask His disciples, who do people think that I am? And they give several answers. And then He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah. And then the passage we read is the very next one where Jesus begins to Teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected and killed. And Peter objects and pulls Jesus aside and says, No, this is not the way. But Jesus stops him and says, You misunderstand. You have not understood this call from God upon my life properly if you do not understand that this suffering and rejection and death is part of of the call Jesus says to Peter your problem is you're not focused on divine things or things of God or spiritual things you're focused only on human things then Dr. Small reminds us of a distinction that Martin Luther the great reformer wrote about some 500 years ago Dr. Small writes the hinge And Mark's gospel points us to Luther's contrast between what he called the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. The theology of glory is built on what appears to be self-evident about life and the way a God is expected to act in the world. The theology of the cross, however is grounded in God's self-revelation through Jesus in the weakness of suffering and death. This teaching from Jesus and the whole season of Lent reminds us of this deeper and fuller picture of who Jesus was and what he reveals to us about who God is and therefore who we are called to be if we want to follow Jesus as I read about the theology of glory and the theology of the cross it kind of resonated with me I mean, I know within me I'm drawn so much more easily to the theology of glory. I want to do well. I want to use my gifts. I want to be a winner. I want to be on top. And sometimes that goes all the way to wanting to glory in the spoils of victory. And certainly God wants us to do well and to use our gifts. But if that's all we hear in this story 
we have missed this most important part. This part that Luther called the theology of the cross. That says, if you want to be a follower of His, you must be ready to embrace suffering, maybe your own, but surely see the suffering of others and embrace our weakness and our suffering and be willing to sacrifice because that's at the heart and fills out this gospel story, this Christian story. Jesus is addressing Peter and the disciples in this part of the story. But then right after that, He turns and begins to address all of us. Did you hear Him call your name in this passage? Particularly in verse 34, Mark records, He, Jesus, called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So he begins by calling the crowd. So you might identify yourself as part of the crowd. But then it says also he calls his disciples. So you could say, oh yeah, that's me. I'm one of his disciples. But even if you don't see yourself in either one of those groups, Jesus goes on to say, if any, if any, if any want to become my followers, He's talking to all of us, any of us. Everybody is included. Everyone is included when Jesus says, if any want to become My followers. He's speaking to all of us. Do you sense God calling you through this preaching and teaching of Jesus? I've told you before that when I'm flipping around the station sometimes, I go by the sports channel. I'm usually looking for football or basketball, but sometimes I find poker. I don't really see it as a sport. I'm not really interested in it. But it just does catch my attention when I realize how much money they have on the table. They have stacks of chips representing real dollars, sometimes more than a million dollars in chips. And what catches my attention and intrigues me so much is that from time to time, one of them, after looking out over the cards and the other bets, reaches down to the table and pushes all their chips to the center and says, I'm all in. And the crowd gasps because they're saying, I'm risking everything I've got on this hand. I'm going all in on this one. And even though they're playing for money, they're not risking their whole life. I think it's a great analogy to Christian faith because when the call of Christ comes, He's asking for all of us. He's asking for us to go all in. He is calling for us to act. And when we read passages like this one today, in this 8th chapter, He's calling His disciples. He's calling you and me to make a decision to decide whether or not we're willing to risk anything. Are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we, to, 
willing to give of ourselves for the good of someone else or for the sake of others knowing this great love of God that we have come to know. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And as I was thinking about this over this past week, realizing that probably none of us are going to be arrested by the Roman army and put on trial and flogged and hung on a cross to die. So how do we make sense of this kind of passage in our time and in our lives? And as I was pondering that, I remembered a story that I had read some weeks ago about a man named Raoul. Raoul was a public school custodian, happily married, working in the public schools. And then one morning he awoke to find his wife of 45 years dead next to him. She had died of a stroke in her sleep, and he was devastated. He said it felt like his life had been stolen from him, that 45 years of love were gone, and he didn't know how to go on. He was grief-stricken for the next days and weeks as he tried to figure out what to do with himself after his wife's death. And during that time of recovery, he hit upon an idea of something he might do. He decided to plant a memorial garden as a tribute to his wife and as something good for him to focus on for these latter years of his life which he was facing. And right in the front of the garden, right up from the street, he decided he would plant a box of roses, his wife's favorites as a way for him to honor her and remember her even though she was gone. The garden did really well for some time. And then one morning, Raul got up and went over to his picture window and looked out the front window. And he couldn't believe what he saw. Several of the rose bushes had been destroyed. Someone had torn them up. He couldn't believe it. And then the next day another, and then the next day another. Oh, he could feel himself getting not just frustrated but angry. He decided he was going to stay at that window and watch the flowers and see if he could figure out who the perpetrator was. And so he started a 24-7 vigil to figure out what was going on. He says it was then, one early morning, that he saw this boy coming down the street. He said, I knew his story vaguely. Father absent, brother gang member, now in prison for murder. In fact, his home several times had been shot up by drive-by shootings, and now this boy, just ten years old, walked with a limp and had to use a cane because he was hit in the leg on one of those drive-by shootings. He said he watched the boy come up the street, stop right in front of the roses 
look at them for a minute, and then without hesitation, taking the cane and beginning to beat the rose bush and just worked himself into a frenzy until he destroyed the whole thing. And then he started to walk away. But out of the corner of his eye, he spotted Raul watching him from the window. He said their eyes locked for just a moment. And then in defiance, the boy turned and ran down the street. Raul said his first instinct was to jump out of his chair and out the door and track that kid down. He said, my second instinct was even better. I thought, I'll just call the police. I know where this kid lives. I'll report him as a vandal. But then he said he had a third instinct. And he said it was because of the boy's eyes. He said, I couldn't forget his eyes. He said when our eyes locked, it was as if I saw right into his soul and I saw the loneliness and the fear, the really terror of his life, the futility of it all, being overwhelmed by despair because the only future apparent was gang life or prison or death. Raul says he let the boy's eyes haunt him until he had an idea. Later that afternoon, about the time school was out, Raul went for a walk down the sidewalk toward the school. Sure enough, he saw the boy coming toward him. The boy didn't see him at first, but when he did, he said the boy's steps slowed. Raul says he continued to walk toward him when he got right in front of the boy, he said the boy stiffened up. He said, son, I'm looking for someone to help me protect my roses. I've been having a little trouble and I need someone to help me take care of them. And the boy said, I don't know anything about it. He said, oh no, you misunderstand. I'm not accusing you. I'm asking you for help. I need someone to help me watch these roses every day and then come by on Saturday and help me do some work in the garden. Would you be interested? The boy wasn't sure what was going on. He wasn't sure he wanted any part of this. Raul said, you know, I was planning to pay whomever I could find to help me. The boy still was not sure he wanted any part of this. Raul said, I'll tell you what, let's just try it for one week. What if you just watch them the rest of this week and then come by on Saturday and I'll pay you. The boy hesitated some more, but finally he shook his head in agreement. And on Saturday morning when Raul got up and went to the picture window, the boy was standing there in the street by the box of roses. Raul went right out and began to teach the boy about the roses and his wife's favorites and how to cultivate the soil. He says, in fact, I've got one bush to plant. It could be yours if you wanted it. We could plant one just for you. The boy said he would like that, so they planted that rose bush for him. 
Then Raoul went ahead and showed him the vegetable garden part of his garden. And in fact, there were some ripe tomatoes, so they picked them. Then he took him over to the herb part of the garden, and they cut some herbs to use later. They had been working together for hours by now, and Raoul said, you know, I have a lemon tree. How about we pick some lemons and make some fresh lemonade? The boy thought that was a fabulous idea. They had a great day together. And the next Saturday, the boy came back. And the next Saturday, and the next Saturday, and the next. Until it became the pattern for his life. The boy, James, is now a man. And still lives in the neighborhood. And works with other young people. To give them an opportunity to grow and flourish in the midst of ever-present violence that surrounds them. Jesus clarifies the call and maps out the way for us as disciples. He says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. It is a call to us and for us. Not just for Lent, but for life. Amen. And thanks be to God.